chapter 29. At a cafe on the north side of the square, the owner of the place, Jim, sat with his friend, Jeff, drinking coffee and looking off out the big front windows. Jeff had the paper in his hand. He flipped through it with a thumb as he blew over his mug. Jim squinted at a bird high up in a tree on the courthouse lawn. He moved his glasses up his nose and took a sip. The place was busy for a Tuesday afternoon. News stations from across the state had showed up and brought the people of Nottingham out of their ragged homes wearing their nicest clothes. Even if the place was going to become infamous, the people who lived there still wanted to look good on TV. There were fake smiles along the sidewalks all morning and a line down the block for the town's only car wash. Cameras were still being set up outside. A dozen white vans with satellite attachments blocked most of the view, but Jim could still see the tops of the trees, which was enough to help him pass the time before his lunch. The two men sat at the stools closest to the door, just beside the cash register. Jim liked to hear the sound of making money. Jeff liked the soothing ring of the bell above the front door. Even though this was a tragic and historic day for the small town, they still waited until Ruth, the waitress, gave them their refills before beginning their daily discussion. Ruth came over with a smile and filled their cups, but rolled her eyes as she walked away. Old men and their sense of importance had always amused her. Hotels are full, Jeff said, glancing over the newspaper. I reckon, Jim replied. Likely going to be that way for some time. It's a strange event for tourism, Jeff remarked, looking up. Wouldn't you say? Tourism is always strange, Jim said, lifting his cup to his chin. Going someplace you don't know, not knowing anybody there, thinking it's all right to look around at the locals like they're animals in a cage. Makes no difference what it's for. Hell, I'd say it's more fitting that way than the usual. Mm-hmm, Jeff agreed, flipping a page and reading some. Jim took a loud slurp and sat his cup down on the counter, twirling a finger over it and playing with its steam. He went deep in thought, frowning. Can't help but wonder, he said, trailing off. What now? Jeff asked, turning to him with concern. It ain't set in yet, you know, Jim said, somewhat choked up. It don't seem like it's really happened, is all I mean. It ain't been but a few hours since the news got out. I feel like old Dubois ought to be rolling in here just like he done two days ago. Ruth don't want to say it, but she's sure going to miss that Fontaine kid. Boy, he was handsome. It's a damn shame to see him go so soon like that. That quiet one, Springfield, apparently left behind eight children, Jeff said, looking over the obituaries. Says it right here. Takes up two paragraphs just listing their names. I didn't even know that boy had a family from the way he used to come in here to visit Wendy. Eight kids don't make a family, Jim said smugly, yanking the paper out of Jeff's hands. A man with secrets like his ain't nothing but a destroyer. 
He was a good-for-nothing prick, if you ask me. Guy gave me a ticket for crossing the road on foot one time. My own goddamn road. Fucking prick. That was Charles Ellis, Jeff corrected, pointing to the deputy's photo along the top of the page. It's easy to confuse them. Both were kind of gruff. Springfield wore a hat, though. Ellis was the one with sunglasses. He's the one that gave you that ticket, remember? He was riding with this one. Jeff pointed to the picture of Doyle Dwyer. That big oaf, he continued. That's the one they found dead in his car a mile up the road from the rest of them. Oh yeah, Jim said, adjusting his glasses and looking over the photos. I remember him now. He used to eat two slices of pie by himself. Seemed pleasant enough. Real quiet, though. Like the other. How'd he go out? I can't read it. Those words are too small. Jeff took back the paper and held it up. Car crash, he read aloud. Says they found him behind the wheel this morning. He'd put it in a ditch. Says here he's got a mama you can send flowers to. I guess they found him first, it looks like. Engine was running, too. Car was in drive. I ain't no detective, but I'd call that suspicious. That old whorehouse road is flat as a skillet. It'd be really hard to ditch a car on it even if you were trying to eat a handful of candy. What's that got to do with it? Jim asked. Jeff held the paper up. That's what it says, he replied. Says he had a fistful of candy clenched in one hand when they found him. That sure is strange. You'd think if he was racing back to get the others for help, he wouldn't be concerned with eating. I seen that boy eat three slices once, Jim said, pulling out a cigarette. If he was concerned about anything, it likely involved eating. Jeff raised his eyebrows and nodded, continuing to read. He took another sip of his coffee as Jim lit his cigarette and blew out a drag of smoke. They still ain't found Wendy, he asked, though he knew the answer. No, Jeff said, shaking his head. She wasn't out there with the rest of them. Don't make sense why she would have been, other than the phone call they picked up from the sheriff's office. Says here from evidence obtained, it is still in question whether Mrs. Montgomery was present during the fire. She's missing, though. They got a whole page here with her pretty face on it. State police got a reward here for any information about where she is. That's funny. Everybody always paid to talk to Wendy, sit with her, take her out. Now they're even paying to hear about her from somebody else. That's damn hilarious. She ain't dead, Jim said, shaking his head. I watched that girl walk around here forgetting orders and dropping a few buttons on her uniform to make up for it. If you ask me, she was a heck of a lot smarter than she let on. Like an animal. A cruel one. It was in her eyes. I saw eyes like that in the war. She was up to something. I always felt that way, but didn't want to say it. But I'll say it now, goddammit. Something about that girl was evil. Everybody fawning over her while she moved among them like a bee in a patch of flowers. If you ask me, she was gross. I like my women pure at heart. That girl had no heart. I could see it in her eyes. Well, 
and how come you let her work here for so long? Jeff asked. Because she was easy to look at, Jim shrugged. They laughed, then coughed, then each took a long sip from their mugs. Thing is, Jim continued, I got a right mind to believe she was somehow behind all of this. I know she's just a girl, but I sure as shit never trusted her. Wouldn't surprise me if she was the one that started that fire. She was at least involved, is what I mean to say. I don't see any other reason for her to disappear the way she did. Across the street, on the courthouse lawn, several reporters were beginning to film their segments and line up locals for interviews and reactions about the deadly incident in the woods just outside of town. Did she have a boyfriend? Jeff asked. Anybody you think might have helped her do it and escape? Nobody she would call a boyfriend, Jim said, shaking his head. Everybody I ever seen her leave here with died up there together. Springfield, Fontaine, even that prick Ellis. They all picked her up on different nights after her shift. I never said nothing, because they were the law. But it sure is weird, them all dying and then her going missing. She left after her shifts with more than just them, Jeff said. I'd know, because I'm closer to the door than you. It's true, Jim agreed. But them three are the only ones I ever seen hold her by the hand when they did it. Jeff took a sip of his coffee and cleared his throat. He flipped to another page of the paper, but just stared at the words, not reading them at all. What Jim had said bothered his mind. He turned back to the obituaries and looked at the six men's faces. A cold sadness slipped under his skin. The sheriff was smiling, of course. The photo of him was from the day after his election. He'd been married then and much thinner. That also been before his mother's awful illness and passing. Staring at the photograph, Jeff became overwhelmed at the things beyond control. Next to his photograph was Springfield's Police Academy portrait, along with the three other deputies' handsome but frowning faces. Ellis's picture was from his training in the Marines. Even as a teenager, there was no hope in his eyes. He and the others had died the night before for no good reason. Looking into Ellis's blank expression, Jeff considered the fact that maybe the boy had wanted it that way. At the bottom of the page was Patrick Greer's sophomore year high school photo. His body had also been found among the wreckage, though the brief obituary left out why he'd been there. He was another suspect in the fire, but finding a way to prove that was going to be a hard process. No one had even known about the building until they'd found it burned down. Why the hell Greer was out there was a complete mystery. Jeff figured the fat idiot was probably just looking for a quiet place to play with himself. No one in town, including his own mother, was going to miss Patrick Greer or the way he smelled. But still, his picture gave Jeff pause and made him a little upset at how sad it all was and how annoying it would be to have to see these pictures on television for weeks to come. He dropped the paper on the counter and lifted his cup, shaking it in the air and whistling for Ruth to bring over the pot. The doorbell dinged, and both men turned 
the way they did at every entrance and departure, like someone new might be arriving. It was Robert Gorenson, however, stopping in for a cup to go between his classes and track practice. He nodded to both of them and picked up Jim's pack of cigarettes, pulling one out and sliding it into his breast pocket. Then he pulled out a dollar and tossed it on the counter, along with the pack. Ruth brought him his coffee, and he thanked her with a silent smile and a slow blink of his eyes. But as he turned to leave, he glanced down at the newspaper, squinting at it. Then he looked around the shop. He noticed an old man far back in a booth by himself. The man looked vaguely familiar, but he couldn't place him. How's the day, Robert? Jeff asked, offering the empty stool next to him. Gorenson took a sip of his coffee and leaned over the counter, whispering to them. Who's the biker? he asked, nodding toward the booth. Jim and Jeff both turned and stared at the man. He was, in fact, wearing a motorcycle jacket, but other than that, he didn't look much like a biker. His hair was silver and his skin was pink. He sat motionless in front of untouched scrambled eggs, staring Gorenson right in the eyes. Well, it looks like he knows you, Jim whispered. Where'd he come from, Jeff? The paramedics dropped him off while you were in the can, Jeff said, glancing blindly at a menu. They said they found him up there locked in the back of Fontaine's squad car. They said he was asleep when they found him. Guess he's got no story to tell. He's a little off his rocker from all the smoke. Somebody from the state is supposed to come pick him up. Jim, you ought to have Ruth call him. He's been here for hours. I bet he ain't even got money to pay for those eggs. Aw, oh, hell, Jim grunted, rising to his feet. Gorenson grabbed Jim by the shoulder and pushed him back down into his stool. I'll handle it. Gorenson said with a smirk and a wink. Where does he need to go? Just get him out of here, Jim muttered, shaking his head. Gorenson reached over the counter and grabbed a plastic lid. He stuck it on his cup and took another sip, all the while staring the old man down. The clatter of forks on plates seemed to rise and crash as the man returned the look with expressionless eyes. Gorenson calmly crossed the café and stood over the man's table, looking down at him, then at his untouched breakfast, then back into his face, smiling like a bully. Are they burnt? Gorenson asked. They don't look burnt to me. The man looked down at his plate, confused. Mind if I join you? Gorenson said already sliding into the booth. He sat down across from him and took the plate of eggs, sprinkling them with salt before eating them with his fingers like popcorn. He took a sip of his coffee and continued to steal the man's food, poking around on the plate for the bigger pieces. What's your name? Gorenson asked, chewing violently. Scott, the man said, watching Gorenson's teeth. Well, Scott, Gorenson said, popping the last of the eggs in his mouth. My name's Robert, and I'm here to give you a ride. Where? Scott asked. Right where you belong, 
Gorenson replied, smiling. Back by the front door, Jim and Jeff sat watching them. It appeared that their conversation was continuing, but the place was too loud with customers to get a good listen. Gorenson was doing all the talking, and not a thing he said got even the slightest reaction from the old man. He just continued to sit there, looking down at the table. Then Gorenson wiped his hands with a napkin, tossed it on the plate, and climbed out of the booth. The man got out as well. Then they went to the restroom together. What the hell you suppose he said? Jeff asked, nudging Jim in the arm. I don't know, Jim said, shrugging and snapping his fingers at Ruth. Gorenson and Scott pissed side by side at a pair of urinals. Scott just stared at the wall in front of him. Gorenson glanced around, making sure they were alone. Did you touch her? Gorenson asked, quietly. Scott turned and looked at him, bothered by his tone and question. He shifted uncomfortably, but continued to pee without responding. The night had damaged his sense of reality, and the smoke from the fire had almost killed him. I asked you a question, Gorenson said, staring him in the eyes. Scott shook his head. No, he said. Good, Gorenson said, shaking his dick and tucking it back into his pants. They washed their hands, Scott mimicking Gorenson like a child learning how to use the restroom. Gorenson even helped him with the soap and towel. Then they exited the cafe, each giving Jim and Jeff a pleasant nod as they left and crossed the street. That guy moves like he's on a leash, Jim said, watching them use the crosswalk before climbing into Gorenson's car. The paramedics said the smoke got to him, Jeff said. Either that or something's gotten to him. I'd say, Jim said, squinting at Gorenson's car as it pulled out onto the road. The doorbell dinged, and both men turned, the way they did at every entrance and departure, like someone new might be arriving. But it was just Lewis, the village idiot, coming in late for his dishwashing shift. Jim shook his head and lifted his cup whistling at Ruth to bring over the pot. Jeff picked up the newspaper and flipped the page to a large advertisement for the railroad museum. He found it vaguely interesting and adjusted his glasses, noting their expanded hours and recently renovated bathrooms. A mile out of town, Gorenson held the wheel with one loose hand. His other cradled the ball end of a strange staff lying in the seat between them. Scott had seen the staff before. He looked around the car, tugging uncomfortably at his seatbelt. A long silk robe was thrown in the back seat, and beside it was the book. <laughs>